Well, some of you are pretty sharp, so you probably realize we're not in Romans 1. We are transitioning out of Romans 1, and we are in uh, a sermon series that we're calling The History of Redemption. And so we're going to be walking through over the next 17 weeks from the very beginning to the very end. Um, now, you might say, I don't know if I have time to do all of that. The good news is we're not, we're not going to read absolutely every verse in the Bible, but we are going to read the stories that talk about who God is and what He has done. And what we find as we're going through Scripture is that uh, all of Scripture from the very beginning to the very end point to a God who is present, a God who created, a God who redeems, a God who then recreates, and He is the center of that story. And so when we go to this Scripture... Our question is not, uh, first and foremost, who are we? Our question is, first and foremost, who is God? What has He said? And then in light of that truth, which is really where we go every week, in light of that truth, then how do I respond? How do I, how do I worship the God who is, the God who creates, the God who redeems? And so we're going to look at uh, this story of redemption. And, and one of the ways that you could uh, tell this story is through this phrase, gospel in the air. So it's kind of this overarching theme, this overarching story of Scripture, the, the meta-narrative, if you will. It's, it's the story of God creating. So you have creation, and then you have those that He created actually rebelling against Him. It's, it goes from this beautiful beauty in two chapters to the third chapter, there's this tragedy of rejection of a holy and righteous God. And so you have creation, and then you have fall. And then you have redemption. And then finally you have this restoration or recreation that takes place. And the, the beauty of it is, and as we've seen as we've been reading, because that's what we're doing, we're trying to read through these passages of Scripture throughout the week. And so if you haven't connected with us, look at the Bible reading plan. Right? It tells us this week we read Genesis 1 and 2, and then we read Genesis 3, and then we read Genesis 7 and 8 about Noah, 6, 7, and 8 about Noah, and then we read... Uh, the Tower of Babel in 11, and then 12, the calling of Abram. So we, we covered a lot this week. So if you're like, how are we going to cover all of that in a 35-minute sermon? We're not. So just relax. It's okay. What we're going to do is each week we're going to pick out one of those things, and we're going to press into those. Now, I would say if God is like drawing you to something, press into that. Right? Don't be limited by what, what we're going to do on Sunday mornings if, if you, like this week, we're going to be looking at the, the very beginning, God is creator. But if you want to know more about the flood, man, I would say, hey, let's ask some people, let's read some things, let's encourage one another, let's find some articles and, and post it on GroupMe and the different ways that we can communicate. Because I want us to be encouraged. I want us to know the whole of the story. And we're not going to know the whole of the story even at the end of December when we've gotten all the way through. We have all of eternity to know and understand the story of who God is and what he's done, and we get to worship him forever. That is super exciting, even as it seems daunting and overwhelming at the same time. It's beautiful. We're going to be able to do that. So this morning, we're looking at uh, God in creation, the God of creation. Again, gospel in the air is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so what we see is those first two chapters, you have God creating by the power of his voice, him speaking into existence. There was nothing, absolutely nothing, and he spoke into existence everything that you and I see and experience. 
So creation in chapters 1 and 2. The fall in chapter 3. And you're like, well, Joel, you just said there's four words that describe the whole of the story, and we already covered two of them in three chapters, and I know there's a lot more chapters than that. And, and what we find, and this is the beauty of it, is that from Genesis 4 all the way through the end, it's either the Old Testament pointing forward to the redemption piece that would happen in Jesus, looking toward a Messiah who would come and, and redeem God's perfect plan that he, did, that he had before even, he even got, before even get to Genesis 1, God had this plan. This plan of redemption that we see. And then in the New Testament, it's, it's this telling of how has Jesus done this redeeming work? And then you have the Apostle Paul writing over and over to different churches. This is what Jesus has done. This is what it means for you. This is the implication of it for your life. This is how you should live out of gratitude for what Jesus has done. And so you have both the Old Testament pointing to Jesus and the New Testament pointing to Jesus. And so all of it is pointing to this redemption piece that takes place in Jesus. And that redemption piece carries over into the restoration and the recreation because he's begun it through his death and through his resurrection, his new life. It's a restored life. It's a recreated life. And then we have the Spirit of God inside of each one of us. If we are in Christ, if we have taken hold of him by faith, we have that same power working in us today. So this is why we're spending our time looking at the history of redemption. These pieces point to a reality of who God is and what he's done. And it's so exciting. It's so beautiful. It's a better story than any story you can read. And we all spend a lot of time in stories. Like, maybe you're not reading. Maybe you don't like to read, and so you think, "Ah, I don't spend a lot of time in stories. Every story, like every TV show, is a story that was written down at some point. Unless it's improv, and really, I don't don't know about that. But think about, like, every movie, every game that you play, somebody wrote that story. Some of my favorite authors... Right? They, they write these stories, and I get to dive into them. And so this week, and for the next 17 weeks, we're looking at this big story, big picture of who God is, what He has done, and this history of redemption. We said that either the, you're in the Old Testament and it's looking forward to the Messiah, and we see that in Isaiah 63.9. He said, In all their affliction He was afflicted, and the angel of His presence saved them. In His love and in His pity He redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. So it's pointing to this Redeemer who would come. Galatians 3.13, that's New Testament. Looking back at what Christ has done. Paul writes to the church there in Galatia, and he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who hanged on a tree. We've seen it in Romans that all of us deserve the wrath of God. And yet God in His kindness absorbed that wrath in His Son for those who are in Christ Jesus. He was cursed so that you and I would not be cursed. He was cut off so that you and I would would not be cut off. But instead we would be grafted in and brought in. This is the work of redemption. This history of redemption is the gospel and it begins with God and it ends with God. He is a story. He's the main character. He's the hero of this narrative. And by story, I don't mean a fictional fairy tale. We have, to, we have to realize that. When we're reading this, we're talking about reality. What is real? What has been done? What has God done? We mean a historical reality. So even as we start in Genesis 1.1, we're talking about truth. We know it's true because God is true and He has given it to us. 
And so we rest and we stand firm on that. Even as so many other things say that it's not true, it couldn't have happened that way, it's not, that's not what it is, we stand and we say, by faith, I'm going to believe this thing is true because God has worked that in my heart. Now, should we, should we ask questions? Should we try to reconcile what we can see and perceive with what God has said? Yes, but ultimately, and we talked about it at community group on Wednesday, ultimately we submit to his authority, him as creator and us as the created being. And we say, I don't, I'm not going to get everything. You're way wiser. Your ways are above my ways. Your thoughts are above my thoughts. So I'm going to rest in who you, what you say is true. I think as we're spending this time in Genesis 1 this morning, it's helpful uh, what A.W. Tozer says about God, the God that creates. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So as we think about who God is, this God in the very beginning, in the beginning, God. Like, how has he created? What has he done in creation? Why has he created man why, why are we created in his image? And then what does he tell us to do in that moment? So three things I want you to get out of this morning. In the beginning was God. Like he's eternal from everlasting to everlasting. God has always been. And so in the beginning, God. The second thing is that we, mankind, are created in his image. And the third thing is then, then as created beings, we obey what he has called us to, this creation mandate, that we would be blessed by God. Like that's, Don't miss that. Before he tells us to do anything, he blesses us with his presence, and then he tells us to go and be co-laborers in what he is doing. That we would be fruitful and multiply, and that we would subdue the earth. Like That's what God has called us to do, and it continues even today. We are his workmanship and his workers. Like, we get to go and be his hands and his feet in what he's doing. So I pray that we would see those things today, that we'd give God glory, that we would walk out changed and and reminded and renewed in who God is. So let's take a moment. Um, We can read these words, and they can just be words. But if God is breathing life in them, if God is by the power of his spirit working in our hearts and changing a hard heart and making it soft and giving us ears to hear and eyes to see, then we leave here changed. We leave here transformed and conformed into His image. So let's ask God to do that in us today. God, I thank You that as Chris said, Lord, we, we are fallible, we are finite, and yet You are infinite and glorious and beautiful. Lord, reveal your beauty to us today. Both in your creation and then even in your very first um, covering of sin, Lord, in the fall, Lord, would it point us to the reality of what Jesus has done in his work on the cross? God, that we would be, that we too would be cleansed and covered. Our shame would be taken away because of who you are and what you've done. Lord, show us that. You have always been. Teach us today about the Trinity, what it means to be the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Teach us about uh, who we are as the created being, but image bearers that would reflect your beauty and your glory, that gives us dignity and value and worth. Lord, and would you teach us how we should live? 
God, in a way that would honor you, in a way that would be part of what you're doing, rather than a, a, a rebel, Lord, we would be um, those that would follow you and would love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Will you do all of us today through the working of your word and by the power of your spirit? May we leave changed, God. May we not leave the same way that we came in, but may we be changed from glory to glory for your glory. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. Genesis 1. 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In case you're wondering, that means he created everything. It's, it's this bookend, heavens and earth. Now you might have a different definition of heaven and earth than, than the Old Testament author had, but when he writes this, he's saying, listen, there's only heaven and there's only earth, so that means God created everything. In the beginning, there was nothing. How, how do we know there was nothing? It says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You see, what, what we're given is that in the very beginning, God did a work to call things into being. I don't know if you, we talked about reading. I love to read. I love a good story. I love finding an author who has written a lot in a particular series, and then reading that first one where they create their world. Like Brandon Sanderson, one of my favorite authors, he's got, he's got a series of books, and then his first one... In the first book, he creates the world, and you start figuring out like bits and pieces of the world. And it's just awesome. Like, there's, there's something super exciting about it. If maybe, you, maybe some of you younger guys play video games, some younger girls play video games, right? And the first time the video game comes out, and you're like, man, I have a whole world to explore. I can go and do all of these things. That's an exciting moment. And here, we're seeing that moment in all of creation. Like, God takes nothing and creates everything. Heavens and earth. How does he do it? He does it by his speaking. That's super powerful. Like you and I, we take days to build with Legos with our hands like Shane does. Right? We build these things. But God just speaks and they come into being. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The power of God's word. There's, a, there's an intensity to it. And we can just read over it, and it can just be like, okay, that, sure, that, that happened. I've been in church for so long. Yeah, I know, God spoke and it happened. But do we sit back and do we just take a moment and realize, no, like, there was nothing, God spoke, and suddenly we have everything. And, and not just everything on an external level, but everything in complexity, everything in, like, the human body that, that works and doesn't work for a complex series of reasons. Like, there's just beauty there in what God has created. And so we see that God was in the beginning. One of the cool things that as we walk through this history of redemption and we walk through the whole 
body of Scripture is that we're going to see these doctrines. And doctrine is a, just a fancy word for a teaching, right? But, but these doctrines that God has given us, the, the things that He has taught us about what is true, about what is life, what is our purpose, who He is, and what He's doing. And so here in the doctrine of creation, we also have this beautiful doctrine of the Trinity. Because what we've seen the early church helped us pull these things out is that God is a triune God. He's three persons. Three equal parts. All worshiping each other. Giving glory to one another. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And as they do this, they're in perfect harmony and perfect unity. And they don't actually need anything else. So God didn't create the earth because He needs us. God created the earth for His glory. Everything that you see should point to the truth that there is a God that is righteous and good and holy. And we've, we've seen this as we walk through Psalms over the summer. Psalm 19. Right? Everything that's created gives glory to God. This triune God, and you see it in verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We also know that the Son was there. Jesus Himself in if you jump forward to uh, the New Testament in John 1.1, right? John speaks about who is this Jesus that he's going to go and he's going to tell stories about, right? historical facts about this Jesus. But he begins with this introduction of who Jesus is. He says, pointing to the Son, Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not, a thing, not anything made that was made. So the Father, God Creator, the Son, Jesus, the Spirit, they're all working in this beautiful creation that you and I get to take hold of every day. You see, Paul echoes the letter as he's writing to the church in Colossae. In Colossians 1, 15-17, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Talking about Jesus. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus is doing this work. Not only... Of creating. See, that's the beauty. Hear this, because God didn't just create and then step back and say, oh, that's cool. Now it's all just going to work itself out however it works out. And if, it, if it's a mess, I'm done. I created something beautiful. If they mess it up, that's on them. Now, is it true that when by, uh, our, by the fall of humanity we have messed things up and we deserve judgment? Yes, absolutely. And yet, God in His goodness is working this plan of redemption that He had before He created the heavens and the earth. He's so good and kind. And His Son plays a crucial piece in all of this story. He was there in the very beginning. He upholds everything by the might of His power. And He holds all things together. How is God created? God created Everything out of nothing. It's called ex nihilo. So out of nothing. Because listen, if there was something before God, then there's something that would be rivaling God for power 
and for authority and for lordship. But God was by Himself before anything was created. And then out of nothing, He created everything that you see. This account goes on. And as we read through verses 6 through the rest of chapter 1, you get not just the first day where He creates light and, and darkness, night and day, but He begins to create everything that you see in six days. These seven days of creation, in the beginning God started creation. The first day light was created. The second day the sky was created. The third day dry land, seas, plants, and trees were created. The fourth day the sun, the moon, and the stars were created. The fifth day creatures that live in the sea and creatures that fly were created. The sixth day animals that live on the land and finally humans made in the image of God were created. And on the seventh day, God finished His work of creation and rested, making the seventh day a special holy day. In all of that, and I would, I would invite you, if you haven't read that, or if maybe you just breezed through it because it was the first day of our reading and you were like, I just got to check this box. I got to get started on the right foot. Like, go back and read it again and watch what God does. Watch the order that He does these things in. He creates spaces, and then after those first three days of creating these spaces, He goes back and He fills those spaces. You want to talk about a, 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 an order and a beauty and an organization, a purpose? That's how God created the earth. And the best way that humanity can, can counter that is with chaos and just chance. If that's true, then, then you have no purpose. If, you're, if the Creator, or how things happened and were created, was just by chance, then you're just a matter of chance. But if God was purposeful in creating, then you have a purpose. Then you are part of His design, part of His story. You have inherent worth and value just in being a created thing. Which means that all of the things that God has created, we should steward them well. We should value them. We should enjoy them. Here's what we see in this first chapter of the, of the very beginning of the book that God has given us. We see these attributes of God. Not only do we begin to see what He's created, but we begin to see who He is. The God that has created, we get to see His character. We get to see that He's a generous God. He, he doesn't hold back. He lavishes on this earth like all of the things that would be necessary and even more that are unnecessary, like platypus. Seems unnecessary. But He lavishes us. He's a generous God. He's a good God. We see that He's a creative God. Again, you could go platypus, but maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you want to just talk about your neighbor. He's a creative God. Like He creates all different types of people with different thoughts and He creates different animals and He creates space that we're just beginning to scratch the surface of. Like that's how creative our God is. We see that our God is good. How do we know this? Well, first, because He said it. The end of every day. After He creates that special thing that He did on that day, He says it was good. Our God is good. He's omnipotent. Omnipotent means all-powerful. He speaks and things come into being. 
He upholds the the sun in the perfect place so that life can be sustained. Because if it moves a fraction in or out of its orbit, we're all in big trouble. But He does everything to sustain life. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. We see that our God is communicative. Like he, He communicates to us. A, He's given us what happened which is so kind of him. We didn't have to know any of that. He didn't have to give it to us, and yet he has. And so we get to go and see how has God created. And he communicates by speaking. Again, the same power that creates is also him speaking to the universe. Speaking to us. And again, we said he's purposeful and he's orderly. Those are just some of the attributes of our God that we pull out of this narrative story about how God created, and we get to see Him in His beauty. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to see creation, and we're supposed to see that that belongs to a Creator, and I want to worship that God with everything that I have. And then we jumped in our reading to verse 26. So we So in the beginning was God, and God created, and He spoke everything into being. But there's a a special place that He has for humanity. In verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 26 There's a lot of uh, talk about pronouns these days, and I get it, but look at the pronouns that God uses. He says, our image. Let us make them. There's a a beauty here that we've we've already seen and we've already pulled out. The, The triune God creates us, humanity, in His image. And one of the things that were created in His image uh, one of the ways that we're created in His image is this need for community, this, this desire that we have to be in commune, community with God and then community with each other. That's a, a beautiful gift that we take for granted when someone annoys us. We just want to be alone. And yet, God has given us the gift of community with Himself and with others. He's created this... Uh, Humanity, and it's just as diverse as He is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They're all one, and yet each of them has different roles. Different things that they, they, they do in the, in the creation piece. And so you and I are as diverse as that. Like, we have different roles. We play different parts. I think about Paul writing to the church and saying, hey, we're one body. And all of those body parts, have, they, they have different parts and different functions. And all of them, when they're working together, give great glory to God. We're as diverse as the triune Godhead. We're created as image bearers. We had some, ta- some questions about what does it mean to be uh, made in the image of God as we were walking through community group on Wednesday. But I found this quote from John Frame. I think it's helpful because I think maybe we just need to uh, rephrase the question. He says this. He says, what does it mean to say that God made us in his image? 
First of all, we should not try to identify the image with something in us, maybe intellect, motion, emotions, or will. The Bible doesn't say that there is an image of God in man. Rather, he, it says that man is the image of God. We ourselves, all that we are, are the image of God. Everything in us, intellect, emotions, will, even body, reflects God in some way. Think of standing in front of a mirror. The image reflects everything you present to the mirror. And everything in the image represents something in you. Of course, the mirror only reflects part of you, the front part and the outside, not the inside. But we image God far more profoundly. We reflect everything in God, and everything in us reflects God in some way. Do we see that in each other? Do we believe that so truly that, that now you have incredible worth and value? Do we only see that in the people we like? If people that we don't like, they, they must not have been created in the image of God. That's, that's not true. That's absolutely false. All of humanity has been created in the image of God. Those that, uh, that we know and love and those that really drive us crazy sometimes. And so if this is true, and we've been talking about like um, we want to see God, and then we want to live in response to how we see God. If God has created humanity with incredible dignity in his image, then the way that we treat each other needs to change. To, to walk in everything that God has given us, we should be valuing, caring for, encouraging, building each other up rather than tearing each other down. And if you think that we're talking about just um, people outside the church, you can begin to look and, and see some things that are going on in the church and it, it's, it's not, it does not glorify God. And I'm not just talking about out there. I'm talking about in me. Like There are things in me where I will take advantage of people in my life and it's, it seems like it's small things, but it's pointing to this reality that I do not give them the same dignity and value that God in His Word has given them. So maybe it's my children and, and thinking that, that because I'm doing all of these things for them, they should serve me in some way. Maybe it's my wife and the way that I, I don't lay down my life for her. I actually put my wants and my desires out for her to see so that she can serve me. Maybe it's my neighbor. Maybe it's my boss. Maybe it's my teacher at school. Like, there's so many ways that we go about not giving proper dignity and value to others. And yet, God says that He created them, all of them, male and female, in His image. Now, do I. You have to be careful with that because there are going to be people that will um, abuse that and take advantage of that. But we don't, we don't get to decide that. We get to obey what God has said. We get to walk in the way that He has called us to. Jesus breaks down the whole law. He, like, he brings it all together and He says, hey, what are you supposed to do? Two things. Love God and love others more than yourselves. Now, there's way more to it than that because all of these other laws fall under those two things. But He's saying, listen, if you, if you just do those two things... 
You're going to honor God and serve Him. Now what we find is we can't do those things. Not in and of our own strength. We need the power of the Spirit that's working in us because of our faith in Jesus who actually did those things. He loved God fully and He loved others more than Himself to the point where He laid down His life. Not for those that were really good, but for sinners like you and I. He died a horrific death. A death that was due us. And yet He took it in our place. We, we've already sung about it. We've already remembered it in our prayer of confession. And so we're called to see the image of God in each other. Who He has created. We're created to be worshipers. Right? We're created to, to see creation, to acknowledge that there is a Creator, and then to give Him all of the praise and all of the glory. We're created with worth, value, and dignity. And one of the other th- cool things about like, being made in the image of God is now we are co-creators. Like one, of the, one of the ways that we image Him is we create. Now, we don't create ex nihilo. We have to have something. We're not God. But He's given us all these things to create with. And so that's part of this Christian mandate that comes, this creation mandate that we're going to get into in a little while. But we now, created in the image of God, become co-creators with Him. Finally, we see that we're uh, created for dominion. But it's a delegated dominion. We are image bearers. It means we bear the image of the One who created us. It's like when you go to... uh, a foreign country, and then if you were to go to the embassy, they have the American flag over it. That, that ambassador does not have authority in and of himself. He has authority that's delegated authority to him by his home country. You and I are, have a delegated authority. An authority to rule and to, to reign. We, we are prophets, priests, and kings. Like we, that's, that's how He has created us to be with this delegated authority. Paul picks up this theme in 2 Corinthians, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. What's the appeal? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Like Christ is the first and foremost. And then you and I as fellow heirs in Christ have this authority that's been given to us. It's a delegated authority. We're co-regents ambassadors. And finally, we're heirs. There's a, there's a beauty to this. Like, the image bearer, if you see my son Noah, he's an image bearer of me. Right? And so, now, as, as my son, he actually has an inheritance. It's not much. Sorry. But he's an heir. Right? He's going to receive that. And so, as, as heirs, we receive also from God. Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He created us, we are His children, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Listen, we talked in creation, we see the attributes of God. In God making us in His image, we begin to see what is our true identity. Who are we supposed to be? How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to act? 
And then in the rest of this passage, we see what God has called us to, this creation mandate. So let's read it again. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, you and I have a unique place in God's creation. We're image bearers. We're the only ones that are called out as image bearers of God himself. You and I also have a unique call in all of creation. This first commandment, this first command that God gives to humanity, and don't miss it because you can jump right to the quotations where God begins to speak, but the first thing He does is He blesses them. He blesses them with His communication. That that He would even speak to them is a blessing. That He's there with them. That is the blessing that you and I have from the very beginning. that, That God is with us. What a kind God that He would begin with a blessing. What a generous God. And then we're called to be fruitful and multiply. To go and do this this work that God has put before us. Now, what we find out later is that the labor, because of our sin, it actually becomes really difficult and hard. And the ground's hard. And and it's broken. But, But in the beginning, the labor was just what we're called to do. Have you ever done something that you felt really proud of? Like you're, you get done with it and you're like, man, that was good. I think that that's what God calls us to, is like this, this labor of doing and working with Him for His glory, and we find a satisfaction in a hard day's work. Satisfaction in, in the completion of something. Satisfaction in being fruitful. Now remember, we're... We're co-regents. We're ambassadors. So the fruit that you and I would produce is not our fruit. It's God's fruit. We get to participate in the labor of what God is doing, but He produces the fruit. So kind of Him that, that not only does He give the command, but He fulfills the command. That He would say, now be fruitful and multiply, and then He does it through us. And we have to remember that because what we'll do is outside of that, we'll take all of His commandments and we'll be like, i got to go do this. I've got to make this happen. I've got to be righteous. I've got to produce good fruit. And, and like Chris was saying in, in our prayer of confession, we'll, we'll feel condemnation when we don't and we'll feel self-righteousness when we do. But when we realize that no, God is the one who is doing this work and He's invited us to participate in it. And anything that's good that I do, He's doing then we get to hold up the good things we do and say, man, look at what God has done. Look how good and kind our God is. Here's the deal, though. We'll we'll often take that and we'll just say, that'll give us license to do what we want to do. And yet, if we really understand that this generous and kind and gracious God has done all of these things, our only response can be gratitude to Him. Our only response can be obedience and worship and faithfulness. 
Because He's so good and He's done so much for us. This is what we've been called to do. So be fruitful and multiply. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, Asher, I'm sure you're going to get excited about this. Dominion over the fish of the sea. For all you fishermen, right? We get to to do this thing that God has called us to. But, But we have to be careful not to read our definition of subdue into this. There's a a gentle cultivation that God has called us to. He created this world and it's beautiful. He created people and they're they're made in His image. They're image bearers. And God calls us then to, to subdue and cultivate His creation. This earth that He's made. And you and I get to do that by creating a culture that He that He's called us to that, that would give Him much glory and give dignity and value to other humans and steward well what He has created rather than abusing it for our own enjoyment, our own pleasure. We actually get to come and, part, and, and partake in, in what He has created, but also to, to participate in the labor that He's doing. And so that's part of this subdue and cultivate the earth. And I think that, that as we grow... Together in Christ, we begin to see more and more that it's not just an outward working, but it's a heart working. We get to see that it's not just about our external behavior, but it's about the position of our hearts. Are we loving the Lord our God? Are we worshiping Him? Are we honoring Him? Are we submitting to Him in all things? This is what God is calling us to. So today we've seen God was in the beginning. He created all things. He's given humanity a special place and a special call. But I don't, I don't want to just leave us there, so I'm going to walk us through the rest of what we've looked at so far because chapter 3, again, we talked about like the tragedy. God created this, this beautiful earth. His beautiful creation. And then in chapter 3, we, we've been given one, uh, one rule. We break the rule because of our pride and our arrogance and we think that on our own we can live. And we fail. And so we, we hide and there's shame there in, in the fall. And yet God in His kindness in that very moment as you look in chapter 3, He kills an animal so that He can cover their sin and their shame. One of His good creation. He kills it so that their sin and that Adam and Eve's sin and shame can be covered. Listen, as we go through this history of redemption, there's going to be points where, man, that's a sign. That's going to point clearly to one who would come. So this point right here in chapter 3, right at the very beginning of the story, God kills one of His good creation to cover over sin and shame. That's clearly pointing to one who would come. The Messiah who would come. Because you and I cannot cover our own sin and shame. We can't even fix our sin and our shame. We are, it, we are uh, none of us are righteous. No, not one. And so what we need is we need one outside of us to rescue us 
to cover our sin and our shame, to give us His righteousness. And what we have is the promise that at the cross, Jesus has done that. Jesus took your sin, your shame, and He's given you His righteousness. He's atoned for your sin, and He's given you His righteousness. How do we know that? Because He died and then He rose again in new life. That new creation starts with Jesus. And then all of us who then would... would say, I I believe that that's true, and I believe that what Jesus did was for me, we too die to our old selves, and we rise again living in the Spirit. And we're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Like the sin and the shame and the brokenness is gone, and now we get to walk in the righteousness of Christ. This is what God is pointing to right at the beginning of the story. We have more brokenness. Like, if there's one thing that you're going to get out of the story of Scripture, is that people are broken. The best people are broken. They try to follow God, and then they mess up. It got so bad, and and evil and sin were so rampant in the world that God came and and in judgment said, I'm going to flood the whole earth. I'm going to wipe them all out. It says that he, he wished he hadn't made man, and I, I don't, I'm still wrestling with that. Let's wrestle with that together. Like, how, why would God say that? But the reality is that the sin that he abhors is so prevalent that he's going to wipe out the face of the earth. But what does he do? In his grace, in his kindness, in his generosity, in his goodness, he saves one man and his family, Noah. He calls them to walk in obedience, and they do. And they make the ark, and God saves from the flooding of the earth. He saves one family. Now, that family, they're broken. They're going to mess up again. Things get so bad again. Tower of Babel takes place. And, and these people that have been rescued, like there should be stories of the flood that happened, and they remember. And yet, they reject God and his commandment to go and be fruitful and multiply and go throughout all the earth, and they actually come back together and they say, no, we're going to live in this city and we're going to build this tower all the way up to God. And we're going to be gods ourselves. And in their pride, they reject God and say, on our own we can live. Which is the story that all of us have. Like we have rejected God and said, I don't need a good creator. I can do it myself. And yet God is patient and kind to us. He was even patient and kind to the Tower of Babel. He confused their language so that they couldn't do this rebellion that they were trying to do. He separates them. And He disperses them in His goodness and in His kindness. And then finally in Genesis uh, 12, we see that God goes and He calls this man Abram to Himself to walk in obedience, to practice faithfulness, that God would show His glory again, just as He did in Adam, just as He did in Noah. Now He's going to do it in Abram. I'm going to read this week how He goes about and does that. And all of this is pointing to Jesus, the one who would come. This history of redemption, He's the center of that story. All of it points to Him for His glory. And you and I are in that story today because we would place our hope and our trust in Jesus. And if you haven't placed your hope and your trust in Jesus, 
Maybe you've placed it in your own ability, and I would just ask the question, where has that gotten you? Is that good? Or do you, or, or as you've struggled and as you've worked in your own ability, have you recognized your need for a Savior? A need for an outside source to come and cover your sin, to give you a righteousness that you've tried and you can't produce. If that's the case, Jesus is here today. Today, you can put your trust in Him. In both His atoning work on the cross as a payment for your sin and your shortcoming, and also, you can place your trust in His righteousness being worked in you. So we would invite you to that today. If today you've, you know all of this, I hope that your eyes have been opened to see that in creation, God did an incredible work. A work that you and I should spend more time thinking about and reading about and praying about and being thankful for the work that He's done. And I pray that it would change the way that we live, the way that we worship Him, the way that we love others. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank You so much, God, for Your Word this morning. We thank You for Your kindness to us. We thank You that You are all the things that You have shown us. You're generous. You're good. You're righteous. You're orderly. You're compassionate. You've spoken to us. God, we thank You that in the beginning was the Word, Lord. That Jesus was there knowing that in the fullness of time He would be the Lamb that was slain. The One to cover our sin and our shame. The One to walk perfect righteous obedience on our behalf, Lord. God, we pray that today, even as we Take communion, Lord, that we would remember that real blood was spilt, that a real body hung on the cross so that we would be reconciled to a holy God, a good God who created, a powerful God who created, a righteous God. Help us to remember all these things this morning. Not just remember them, but to that, those, that in remembering we would repent of uh, trying to do things ourselves and we would remember what Christ has done for us and we would both walk in those things and share that good news with others. Lord, would You stir in us joy and proclamation of who You are and what You've done. Lord, we ask all of these things in Your name. Thank You, Jesus. Amen.